The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, good morning, everybody, on this beautiful day. Good to see you this morning. And uh, wasn't it great to be greeted by those greeting on the door, just to shout out to the team that uh, show up and decide they're going to smile to the rest of us. And uh, we're so grateful for that because many times we don't feel like smiling, uh, but to be greeted by somebody else who's smiling. So thank you to that team who does that so well. Thank you to all of you who serve, even to make this service work in the morning. Uh, There's so many of you that, that put into that, that the rest of us may be blessed. We're in Psalm 8 this morning, and we're in the series called Singing the Songs of Jesus. There is a uh, question that is often on people's hearts and minds, and the question is simply this. Am I worth anything? Am I worth anything to anybody? Is there value in me as a human being? We ask that question in various ways, and we might answer it. In different ways, some might answer it. Oh, by the way, uh, if you actually look at the value of us as human beings, I just looked it up quickly this morning. Our human body is made mostly of water, 60% water, um, 18% carbon, and some calcium and phosphorus. If you had to put a value on the elements that you're made up of, uh, you're probably worth $200 or so. All right, so uh, it's not when we say the value to who you are, it's not so much about this human body as frail as what it is. The question we're asking is their value to you as a person. And some answer this question by chasing things. They find value in accumulating stuff. And the adage goes that he who dies with the most toys wins for those people who want to find value in what they own. Others find value in how they look, how they feel about themselves, how they look to others and and how good they feel about that. Others value themselves by, uh, find value in how they feel about themselves, how others would recognize their good, uh, or others would look at them and say, you're worth something to me. Perhaps your family would tell you that, would validate you. Others celebrate being on a winning team, and for those watching the World Cup rugby, you've all picked your teams, right? Uh, and uh, whatever, NRL, AFL, we find value in being part of a team sometimes. Some chase value in simply wanting to be good in themselves. Others try and answer the question perhaps in a more radical way. And so um, others might want to say, well, I am who I am, and uh, I'm going to be the best person for that. That's how they find value. It's a question that each of us ask. And perhaps if I was, as I've gone through that list this morning, you would go, yeah, sometimes do that, yeah, sometimes do that. We're probably a mix of all of those. We all want to know, well, are we valuable? And the question goes further than just us as individuals. We ask us as a group. And I would say that even the referendum we had yesterday was, a, was an attempt by the government to, to, to say, well, let's test if, if changing the Constitution is, will help some group find value or dignity? Would that help them? Even as a group of people, we're wondering, where does our value come from as Australians? Where's our worth? What does that look like? 
And while we have many ways of answering that, the Bible would fundamentally, from Psalm 8, say that it's not so much a psychological question we're asking. It's actually a theological question. It's actually saying, it's actually going to teach us this morning that our value lies in in two great things that come together and we'll see as we go through this psalm. That the worship of God, and this is what I believe the psalm is going to show us, that the worship of God and the worth of a person are deeply connected to each other. And you'll see as we go through Psalm 8 that it's got sort of this this crossover effect. It's sort of the bookends are the worship of God, but it very quickly focuses in on the value that humans find and that God gives us in life. And the psalm is really pointing to that the, that the value of human beings is bookended by the glory and worship of God. There's a structure to this. And the psalm, as we've seen in the last few weeks, the psalms help us journey the ups and downs of life in the presence of God. So perhaps you've come here this morning and you're really feeling good about yourself. You've had a great week and things have just gone well. Or perhaps you've had a really horrible week. In Australia, we say an ordinary week, and it took me a while to figure out what that meant. Um, yeah, we just had a horrible week, and, you, and you're doubting your own value and sense of worth. And so the psalm this morning comes and it anchors us again. It anchors us in things which don't change. So let's read it together, and thank you to Chris for reading it. I'm going to go through it verse by verse as I can. It starts, and here's the first bookend, Psalm 8, verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's saying, the, the psalmist David writing this, saying, God, I'm just honoring you. I'm giving you glory. You are majestic. And verse, verse, the second part of that verse then says, you've set your glory in the heavens. You, when, we, when we look at the heavens, we see this glory. And the word glory, by the way, it, there's various um, understandings of that word. It could mean uh, just the majesty of God, the splendor of God, his authority. But it can also mean the word face. There's something about... When we look at the heavens, it reflects the face of God. There's something about it that we see, that we see this, they get the sense if you're looking for it, that God is watching us. His face is toward us. The glory of the heavens. Now, you, you've heard various ways of describing what the heavens look like. This is a little, little hack that helps me, a little way of, of life that helps me understand just how glorious, how magnificent this, the, the, the universe is. And, and this is just my take on it, right? You've probably heard a different one. But let's pretend you can travel at the speed of light, okay? Physically, you can't possibly do that. If you study the theory of relativity, you can't do that. But you, you, let's pretend. So the speed of light, to get yourself a bit of a ruler, is, okay, the speed of light is you would travel around the world eight times in one second. That's the speed. Or you would pass the moon in just under a second, which is around about a second, right? Traveling at the speed of light. You'd pass the sun in around about eight minutes, Okay. Our sun is a star, and we're in a solar system, and there's planets orbit, orbiting around the, the sun. And so if you were to travel to the edge of our solar system, remember the ruler, so eight times around the world in a second, you would take, just to get to the edge of our solar system, 1.6 years. That's how far, how far light travels in a year at that speed. Our closest star, which is the Proxima Centauri, um, it's at a distance of about four light years away. Our closest galaxy, we're in a spiral galaxy, but the closest galaxy to us is 25,000 years away. 
It's traveling at that speed. Remember the little ruler. And we're in the Milky Way galaxy, which is a spiral galaxy. And you've, I don't know if you can see on that picture, but somebody's done this graphic. We've never taken a photo of it. But it says that the sun and, and our little solar system is just a little speck in that spiral galaxy. It take you four million light years, friends, to get to our closest neighbor. And they say there's untold millions of these spiral galaxies. Now, no wonder people without a faith, they look at that and they go, wow, I feel pretty lonely in this universe. I've got a friend who, um, he, he's not an atheist, he's an agnostic, but he, he, he would say that he feels really lonely. And I can understand that. I can understand why, and I'm not saying all scientists are looking for a life on other planets. I can understand why science is often driven to go, is this all there is? It's just a little speck of dust in this big universe. But yet the psalm says, Lord, you have set your glory. We see your creativity. We see that in the stars and the moon and everything around us. Job chapter 26, and there's, there's evidence to believe Job is the first book that was ever written. Uh, the oldest book, put it that way, sorry. Uh, Job 26, and, and Job says this, he, he says this about God. He says, he, God, spreads out the northern skies. And remember, he's using poetic language. Over empty space, he suspends the earth over nothing. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. So he's saying God has done all of this, and this is just a faint whisper. Of God. And when we look at that and we see the tremendous beauty and creativity, then Job says, Well, what would happen if God got really angry? Who could understand the thunder of his power? We sort of stop and wonder as we journey into the psalm, going, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Verse 2, he goes on to say, Now, leading now toward this this thought about who we are as human beings and that we aren't just a speck, <clears throat> that you have worth. He says, yet even through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, you may look at the heavens and go, well, that's amazing. But just look at this human life. We have a couple of babies here this morning. Just look at human life. And is that not incredible? And that any enemy of God who says there's no God, this is not possible, and we just, we're just blobs and we sort of just collided and we've emerged out of nothing, just give it enough time and anything can happen. A little baby cooing and doing what a little baby does would say to those critics, you got to be mad. You've missed it. The beauty in what God has made just silences anybody who has a criticism against God. So why would God have any concern about you and I? And the structure begins to show us that he does. Verse 3 and 4. David goes on to say, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? I, I want to just pause on this verse so we can leave it up. He's saying, Lord, in all of that, I feel like a speck of dust. What is it about us that you care about me, that you care about us? And in the original, and if you, this is the NIV translation, and you look at the footnote, you'll actually see that it, and it's trying to, trying to make the psalm, I guess, applicable to everybody. So it's a prayer. We can all pray it. But actually, this is in the singular. It says, what is man singular? And I, you'll see where I'm going with this in a moment. What is the son of man that you care about him? 
You see, fundamentally, friends, our worth is going to be focused in on a person, Jesus Christ. That's where this psalm is going. David didn't know that at that point. He's writing this. He's probably thinking about him as the king. What is, who am I, God, as a man that you have given me this, 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 this kingdom to rule and reign over your people? Who am I, God? But there's the scripture takes that further and we'll see them as we carry through. And that's the point of this whole series that the Psalms point to Jesus. And yes, this is also about us. And so the NIV opens it up and says we can use this as a prayer. What are, what are human beings that you think about us? that you care about us, but also it's looking at this identity is caught up in a person who we will encounter as we get into the New Testament. He says you've, in verse 5, you've made them or him a little lower than the angels. Again, the NIV is, is taking a particular strain here. The word is Elohim, which means God. Really, in the, in, in the Old Testament, Elohim, is, it's a plural, by the way, and, and God often, it's often how the Old Testament calls God, Elohim. And whichever way you go, which if you trans, and it's also used for angels, yes, that's true. But whatever way you go, it's saying, God, you have, you have created us just a little lower than either you or the most awesome beings in this universe. And you've crowned human beings with glory and honor. You've given us a specialness. We don't often feel that. That's true. The enemy robs us of that. That's true. And the psalm is wanting to lead us back to understanding who we are. This is not a self-help sermon. This is not to puff you up. This, I believe, is to give you the perspective on who we are as human beings, as God sees us. He goes on to say in verse 6, You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Here's this idea of what God has delegated to us. The very things that God does, he's delegated to human beings. God is the ruler. God is the creator. God, God brings order. And it's saying God has delegated that to us as humans on this earth to rule and reign and, and, and steward this planet. He goes on to say all the flocks and herds, all the animals of the wild, all the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, that swim in the paths of the sea. Back in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, we, we read about when God delegated this to human beings. And it says there, so God created mankind in his own image. This is Genesis 1, 27. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. It talks about God putting on us his image, putting on us his likeness, the very characteristics of him. And, and we'll look, about, look at this in a, in a little while. What does it actually mean to be created in the image of God? But let's just go with this for now. That is, is given to us, delegated to us, the things that God himself can do, that animals can't do, to think, to communicate, to relate, to, to, to do, um, to, as I say, manage this world. But friends, let's be honest. The reason we doubt who we are, the reason we doubt our worth is because our self-image is fractured. Sin fractured that, and we know that. We know that well. We've sung about it. We are fractured human beings. We are not this perfect image bearer that, that the Bible right in Genesis teaches about and shows us. We know that human life is fractured. At times that we are capable of such beauty, of such creativity, but at the same moment we are capable of such evil and such hurt toward each other. I remember, never forget that one of my theology professors said that given the right set of circumstances, anyone is capable of anything. 
And if, if we think that, well, you know, certain people behave in a certain way and that's just how they are, they're just bad, what he was saying, and I think there is good evidence for this, that given the right set of circumstances, we would also, could also choose that. But yet there is this beauty about us. Yet this is this promise of, of what we could be and what we have created to be. So how does it all work together in this psalm? So the psalms are about the songs of Jesus. And why do we say that? Well, Jesus quoted the psalms, and we'll look at that in a moment, more than any other book in the Bible. Jesus prayed the psalms. Jesus prayed the psalms in his darkest moments. So it gives us access to his own heart. But the Psalms are also about Jesus. Where do we see that in this book? And I've already alluded to one. But firstly, Jesus quotes Psalm 8 verse 2 when, we, when it talks about that you've ordained praise from children and, and infants and, and you've, you've silenced your foes and, aven- and, and those who want to avenge themselves. In, back in Matthew, or forward in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and uh, the People are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, you know, this is the son of David, just giving him honor and glory. Um, and, and the priests are saying to him, to Jesus, Jesus, listen to what the kids are saying. Stop them. Jesus quotes this psalm. He says, even from the mouths of children, there's going to be praise. Jesus is claiming this for himself saying that this psalm ultimately finds its truest fulfillment in him. And as we'll see in a moment, that actually it has implications for you and me. Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let me say it this way, in him, who you are, the uniqueness of you and me and us is held together, is brought together, is brought into completion to be more like we've been created to be. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself. So Jesus comes as the second Adam, our first forefather failed. Jesus comes as the second Adam, incarnated, God himself, God the Son, incarnated to be look and take on the form of the human and being human as well. He becomes the second Adam to undo what the first Adam didn't do, to undo what the, what the first Adam did, <laughs> to undo what the first Adam did wrong, to lead us actually into what it means to be truly human, to be truly created in the image of God, to have that restored, because in Jesus, all things are held together. Friends, you see, as we saw in the book of Mark, Jesus is and brings good news to us, to you, to this world, to our broken world. He brings good news because he draws us back to the Father. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He actually, in a sense, takes us by the hand and leads us to the Father, Not only does he lead us to the Father, but he makes that way possible by the very things he did on our behalf. The worship of God and the worth of a person are deeply connected to each other in Jesus Christ. He's the one we sing about. He's the one we honor. 
He's the one we say, we, you are the son of God. You have come to do the things we couldn't do on our behalf. And, and you are God, we are not God, but you have led us to the Father so that we can be those people that you have created us to be. No wonder in the book of Revelation it says this about Jesus. This is the Apostle John who has this vision. This is the last book in the Bible. He says, and this is what it says, and, and the people are singing the song. The song is, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. That means Jesus has the, the right to, to unfold history. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. For God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So I'm coming back to the second idea of what it means to be in the image of God. What it means to be, to, to, to have worth. And the, 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 the idea of being created in the image of God, firstly, is we're a representation of God. We have his characteristics. But the second part of being an image of God is that we are a, a reflector of God. We're a reflector of God. We're, and somebody has described it like this. We're like an angled mirror. We're not seeing ourselves. We're holding this mirror up, and, and we, we, we're showing God into the world. We're doing the things God has called us to do, to steward this world, to love each other, to treat others with dignity and respect. We're reflecting his goodness into the world. But at the same time, as the psalm is done, it reflects the worship of the world back to God. This is our role. We're priests and we're prophets. This is the place we find our real worth. Is knowing who we are in God's presence, reflecting that back into the world. And God has uniquely gifted each of you, friends, with the ability to do certain things, that you show the creativity of God, that you demonstrate the beauty of God, that you demonstrate the strength of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God. If you're the type of person that likes to be in the soil planting things, is that not a godly activity? You know, God said, go and look after this world. Is that not a godly activity? When you're creative and you're making cards and knitting, as I was hearing this morning, and, and making something for others to bless others, is that not a godly activity? Is that not a reflection of God into the world? When you're using your unique capabilities, undo the evil of this world. Is that not reflecting God into this world? When you go to school and you stand up for those who, 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 are, being, who are being bullied, is that not reflecting God? into the community when you use your musical gifts and abilities is that not reflecting the creativity God has given you and by the way when you lead us in worship as you did this morning is that not taking the worship and reflecting that back to God so there is a sense that the psalm says that the worship God if God is the bookends but everything points down to that God has created us to have worth and God don't make no junk, as somebody once said. The little kid had a T-shirt on. Uh, I've been created by God, and God don't make no junk. God has not made junk when he made you. You are not a blob. You are not a blob. And this is the, this is the thing I can't get straight in my mind. When, when folks believe in evolution and naturalism, they say we're just a blob. We just sort of came, you know, just sort of arrived. But yet they want to be treated with dignity and respect and, and have worth. A blob doesn't know that it needs worth. Where did that come from? It doesn't make sense when we say there is no God, but yet you want to experience the goodness of God. 
is incongruent. Yet we as Christians, we come and we say, God, rightfully knowing that we are broken and shattered, that's who we are, but Jesus has come to take our place, to pay the penalty for that. And as we put our faith in him, we are reflecting Christ more and more, reflecting the glory of God more and more, and so become more like Jesus and worship God. So we are this angled mirror. We are a reflector back to God. I wonder the psalm ends, Psalm 8, verse 5 and 6. It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He knows your name. He knows who he's created. He calls you by name. He speaks to your heart. He speaks to mine. He speaks to our, into our community. He knows what's required to heal the pain of, of, of the indigenous folk. He knows what's required. I sometimes wonder what is going to be, and I, and I really am, and I have very little right to say this because I haven't been here very long in this country, but God knows what's that key that he's going to use to unlock our Aboriginal community, to, to truly discover um, who they are in God. There is, I believe, a, a, a missiological key that God puts in every culture that if, that if you, that if you use that key, it unlocks the culture to who God is and, and what he's given us. It happened in Papua New Guinea. That's where I first heard of it and the whole concept of the peace child to that particular group. And I'm wondering, even with the Aboriginal folks, and I'm going off script here now, but I'm wondering in, in, the, in their religiosity and spirituality, in their culture, what I do understand is that they understand that God has given them this, or the, the Spirit has given them this ability to be co-creators. And so sacred sites for them are a place where, where they do their dance and they unlock that creativity. And I'm wondering if there's not an impression somewhere in there from God going, yeah, I've created you to be people who steward this world. I've created you for that. How do you relate to God? I'm not sure how Aboriginals do that. That's still something I'm trying to figure out. Because somewhere that's still got to happen, right? You still got to come through Jesus Christ. You still got to discover your true worth in Him. I'm not clear on that. But in every culture, God has put an ability to unlock, to find our worth. So how do we put this into practice? The psalm has shown us the importance of worship. And I want to challenge you this morning to reclaim the importance and dignity of worship. I was just thinking there, and, and just as we were singing, it's just this reflection of God. I guess that's why... You don't need to do this, but some people do. I, I, I like to think that when I'm holding my hands up, it's reflecting that worship back to God. And whatever way you want to do that, practice that. That when we worship, there is a reflection of this group on behalf of creation back to God. That in this moment, God was pleased as we worshiped him. Secondly, friends, as we reflect Reflect God's character back into our world. Let's treat each other with the dignity that they deserve as people who are created in the image of God. Right from the unborn child all the way to the elderly, life is sacred. And there is an image of God in every created being, human being, 
That is important. And we can feel unworthy when, when, when others treat us badly and we can feel like we, we've been misheard or put down. And, and, our, and this ability to be in relationship and build each other up is a God-given ability. Let's treat each other with the dignity that they deserve. Thirdly, and probably most importantly, that the only way, with friends, we're going to do this is to be drawn to Jesus. <clears throat> As you find yourself being drawn more and more to him, as you find yourself more and more engaged in who he is, and yes, falling in love, blokes, uh, with who Jesus is, because blokes can love other blokes, right? Uh, falling in love with who he is and being transformed by that, you'll be transformed in the presence of God the Father. And here's that word again, who has his face toward you, who's watching you, who's pleased with you because of Jesus. That's a prayer I pray often in my life. The prayer goes something similar, something like this. It says, thank you, Heavenly Father, that I am your child, that you love me for who I am and not how I was, that you love me because of Jesus, that in Jesus Christ I am your son, I'm your child. God calls us into worship, into this psalm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He reminds us that, yes, who are we? But yet, he's chosen one person, the Son of Man, and made him for a time, the Bible says, a little lower, a little lower, but now he's been exalted, a little lower while he was on earth. He took on that nature of a servant. He was always God, but he took this nature on. And he died for us, took our place, because he loved us. And therefore, we can be the righteousness of God. Let me pray for you this morning as we close out this psalm. Thank you, Lord, this morning. There is much in this psalm that... Um, Simple, but yet deeply challenging. Lord, I pray for our country. I pray for our communities. I pray, Lord, for our hearts where we so easily, Lord, talk ill of others. And Lord, so easily just degrade the image of God in others. Forgive us for that. It doesn't make us feel any better, God. It makes us feel worse. Holy Spirit, would you transform us into the likeness of Jesus? That as we look into his face, we are transformed from glory to glory, reflecting the glory of the Father, not our own. Reflecting the Father's glory into this world and reflecting worship and praise back to the Father. Might we this week, Lord, find our worth in you, firstly, might we not hold on to finding worth in the things we have, the things we do, or the things that we want others to say about us? Might we find our worth in that we have you, and that you've called us to be your child and to practice those things which are important, and our worth comes from who you say we are. So, Lord, this morning we honor you and we thank you uh, for the practicalness, the practicality of this, the, the practical nature, Lord, of this psalm, 
which so deeply touches our hearts and calls us to live in the beauty and power and strength of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we worship you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.